0: Welcome to the Nova Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Nova Podcast. My name is Jeff Counts. I'm your guest host for this episode, an episode in which I'm delighted to have a guest, the distinguished American composer Joan Tower is with us to talk about her music. Joan, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It's great to see you again. You and I have worked together in the past back in the old Deer Valley emerging quartets and composer days. It's wonderful to see you again.
0: Well, that was a wonderful program. I it love really that was. program. Yeah. I,
1: you, you said to me in an email recently that you miss those days, and I really do too, but it's
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's good to talk with you today. One of your work's wings for solo clarinet is going to be on an upcoming Nova concert. And I wanted to talk with you about writing for solo instruments. I know your work mainly as an orchestral composer because that's been my life as a programmer. But I know you've written a lot of solo instrumental works in your day. Yes, indeed. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between using large forces and then something so intimate and personal as wings?
0: Well, I happen to love writing for solo instruments. I've written f- about seven solo pieces, and my next one actually is gonna be a bass solo. Uh, I just love getting into that one line. It's sort of like trying to deal with one sketch of, of you know, with a pencil. You, you don't, you can't change the, well, you can only change the color within the the uh, instrument, but you don't have the larger color changes. and you, and there's a lot more control, I feel, over over the piece. So that's the big difference between that and orchestral writing. Because orchestral writing brings in, you know, so many other instruments, so many other colors, so many layers of, of counterpoint, of rhythm. It's a completely different animal.
1: I find it interesting that you say you feel like you have more control when it's a single instrument. Do you feel like that's because an orchestral work sort of takes on a life of its own at a certain point? or
0: No, it's just that there's so many more options, right? The, mu- musical options w- with the orchestra. Right. With a solo instrument, you really have to concentrate on this one line and make it work.
1: You. So- Yeah. You, well, you have a long history with chamber music. I mean, you, you, people might know you as an orchestral composer predominantly, but you've been a chamber music performer for a long time. You've obviously been involved in programming chamber music concerts, much like the Nova chamber music series. What does your long history with that part of the music world tell you about putting, putting pieces together and making wonderful programs and how a piece like wings fits into a larger goal for a program.
0: Well, I've, That's really my home, chamber music. Actually, much more than the orchestral world, actually. I've been doing that. for. I started my own chamber group, the Decapoo Chamber Players, in 1972. And I was the pianist for them for uh, 15 years. So I got a real inside education on what it means to be a chamber player. And we focused on new music. So I got to know a lot of composers that way too, and I it was a the best education I I ever could have better than my Ph.D. that I got. <laughs> you know.
1: Have you um, done much programming of chamber music concerts recently? Has that been a part of your life at Bard or? Yes,
0: actually, I continue to do that in different ways. Uh, I've done it in the past, in, you know, with lots of other organizations like the St. Louis Symphony and the. Uh, St. Luke's Symphony. I I did the chamber music programming for them of new pieces and other organizations. But now I'm I'm at Bard, mostly at home, um, loving it. And I'm working with uh, an adult class of 65 people that are my age. And I present uh, uh, musical themes each Friday. And that keeps me busy doing research and finding the players and Finding the program, I love it. I, something I love to do is put together uh, programs of music.
1: That's fascinating. This adult chamber music idea. Are you? Is it mostly contemporary music with those folks that you're doing, oh, no. or is it a mix? No, of no, no, sorry. The,
0: the The audience is adult.
1: I see. Okay, so so,
0: so they're very good play, young players from conservatory who present themselves to this adult audience. Yeah,
1: and is it a broad-based also, diet of music?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm doing an yeah. all piano romantic, and I'm doing a living composer one. I'm doing uh, French music. I'm doing brass music. It's, 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 I'm doing all kinds of different things. And it's a wonderful education for, for me to learn about all this music and to get to know the players. We have fantastic players here at Bard. Um, so it's a great. And then I do a music alive program, which I run with Blair McMillan, and we do all contemporary music. And we do that twice a year and that's all contemporary music. That's great.
1: Speaking of contemporary music, let's talk about Wings for a second. That's mm-hmm. the piece of yours that will be featured on this upcoming program. And I I know you wrote the piece in 1981, and I know you wrote it for a dear friend, Laura Flax. And I do, I do also know that she passed away after a long battle with cancer in 2017. And I've got a couple questions for you about Laura and this piece. And I want to start broad because I suspect that most of the solo instrument work you do is for a specific person. I doubt you just woke up and thought, I'm going to write a bass piece. I'm sure someone is collaborating with you on that and I'm sure it was the same in this work. So, How much of the, the person's personality and your relationship with them goes into the process and how much is apparent in the final product?
0: Well, I, uh, with Laura, it was very personal because uh, she was in my group and we played together. And, uh, and there's a funny story here. I want she's she was a very smooth clarinetist. She could go from one tone to another like a panther. So I had worked hard on my title. So I called her up. She was in San Francisco playing with the symphony. I said, "Oh, I've got a title for your piece, Panthers." And there's this silence, and she says, Joan, whatever, this is your piece, you know. And then the piece went, started to fly upwards. And I said, Well, I can't keep this as Panthers because it's starting to fly. So I said, I better get a bird. So I found the biggest birds, the Falcons. And I, I, I said, That's a great title. So I called her up again. I said, I had to, the piece started flying. So I had to get a big bird, Falcons, Silence. Uh, Joan, this is your piece, your title, <laughs> and then I started thinking about that. That's a really a weird image, <laughs> and I turned it into wings. and I think wings is really a good title because I- it is it is about flying, but it's not so narrow. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. When I listen to the work, I think it's interesting. You went from Panther to the Panther of the sky with Falcons, but ended up with wings, but. And Panther
0: I, of the sky. That would have been a great title.
1: <laughs> I, you can have it. You don't even need to put me on your work side. Uh, unfortunately it's it.
0: already done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I love the work and I right. do think that it captures that quality of hers that you just described very quickly. And I, do you, feel differently about the piece now, Joan, that she's passed on? I mean, when you hear it now, is it, what's the experience uh, like for you?
0: That is probably my most played piece. And I'm not sure exactly why, except that maybe clarinetists take to it. I mean, they're just, I've I've heard so many clarinetists play that piece. They just love it. And it means that I think the piece is working on some level for them. Uh, Anthony McGill just played it here. He's the principal of New York. Right. And he talked about it. He said, this piece challenges every inch of the clarinetist, the lyrical side, the punchy side, the dramatic side, the, everything. And, and I, I thought he, the way he articulated it was very uh, refreshing and nourishing to me about why that piece is taking off so much. <laughs> taking off. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and I, I agree with him in that, the, the challenges for the instrumentalists are very apparent when you listen to a recording of that piece. And I feel like you do explore the entire instrument. Is that a, is that a goal of yours when you write these solo pieces? Do you try to yes. really stretch yes. the player? Yes,
0: yes, But, uh, uh, okay. I just wrote a solo pe- Well, not so recently. I wrote a solo viola piece for Paul Neubauer mm-hmm. and it's a virtuosic piece. I do feel, I do want to write something that's challenging. But I'm not always sure of the limit of the, the viol. Like the viola is not an instrument I've been around that much. The clarinet I've been around a lot. Uh, and so Paul, who's an extraordinary player, played it and it was great. And it started, the viola started getting, it just started getting picked up like crazy because they don't have a whole lot of solo repertoire actually. And uh, this was a challenging piece, but there's one page that's almost impossible and he, it's because paul didn't tell me this page is almost impossible <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know any better you know i said okay i'm not a violist you know i'm not a violinist either <laughs> so it, it's the challenge is is um, it depends on how much you want to challenge it and how much you actually know about the instrument you have to be careful
1: I'm sure you've come to this place, you know, where working with artists and understanding the limits and knowing where you can push and and pull. You know, I'm sure you've come to that place through experience. You've 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 been working for a while now, and I'm I'm hearkening back again to our days at Deer Valley together when I got to see you teach. On a regular basis. I saw you work not only with the composers that were part of the program there, but we invited composition classes in from BYU and the University of Utah and other places, and you did master classes with them, and it was always amazing for me to watch you do this, and uh, mostly because of how honest, how immediately honest you were with the students about you, what you were hearing. There was, and I, and I don't mean that you were um, cruel. You were not cruel. You were very, very careful with what you said, but you gave them instant and very useful feedback. And I watched them respond to that in a way that was amazing for me. So talk about your teaching and when working with composers and the kinds of things that you've learned that you think every composer needs to know.
0: Well, thank you for saying that, because I've been doing that a long time. And when I walk into a school and I have to deal with an audience of whatever, 300 people. And there's this young kid <clears throat> who's showing me their second piece. And I don't know them. I don't know how vulnerable they are. I don't know how tough they are. I, I don't know any of that. It's it's a very thin ice that I'm skating on. And I, I just have to play it by ear and and see if I can go to them with some directness that's not going to hurt them. It's it's a very challenge. That's the most challenging thing about any residency I do. I I'm have to sure. be yeah, it's it's hard. And I'm not always right. I'm not I'm not an I tell them that for, you know, that I'm not an authority. I just have my own perspective and they have to know that that I'm just another person with another perspective. But but they tend to look at me and, oh, this is a very important composer coming in, very experienced, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I have to get that down and try to relate to them just as human to human. I think. It's not easy. It's not I, easy.
1: I think that human to human connection is very apparent when you work. And it doesn't actually seem like work when you do it. You seem to actually enjoy working with these young composers. And I, I watched you make progress with some of them in this space of 20 minutes, which was Really quite something. It's a, well, I know I keep you, complimenting you, but I mean you. it.
0: Well, you, you know, thank you for saying that because I, I, I know that to, just to come in and be smooth and easy and comfortable is not necessarily going to help them. Yeah. I, I know I want to help them without hurting them, it, right. it, but, but, it, but it's not easy. It's a very thin ice there. Yeah.
1: Well, this has been Amazing conversation. I know people are going to be even more interested to listen to Wings with New Ears after hearing you speak. And before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, is there anything you're working on right now that you can give a sneak peek to the NOVA audience about? What's what's on your plate right now? What's well, happening I in just, your composing yes,
0: world? Yesterday, I just finished a cello concerto for Elisa Weilerstein. Oh, wonderful. And she's amazing. And it was all put together by Peter Ujian, who's a mm-hmm. conductor. And uh, it's about 23 minutes. And I, I had a lot of fun writing it. and I, But there's always this anxiety. You're, you're writing for a person or a persons, in this case, a person and uh, a conductor too. And you, you sort of pray that you, know, you work on this blueprint. It's like an architectural blueprint. It, it, there's nothing like musical notation. That, that is so specific. You're putting your soul into this detailed blueprint. And you're hoping it comes out on the other side, the way you want it to come out in reality, you know? So as an architect, I think we're closer to architectural blueprints than anything, um, but we have the time element. Uh, and then the, the building goes up and you go and you go see it. The building's up, right? And you you spent a year on the blueprints. <laughs> of this thing and you oh my god that pink that doesn't work at all (laughs) or those windows are way too high you know (laughs) but see as a composer the reality is 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 not it it's not like you're working with a contractor It, it it's the notation gives you the ability for them to just put rehearse it in two hours four hours six hours and then it goes up the building goes up the timing is very different, and it's very scary. But the first transition is giving the score to the player. So yesterday, Elisa called me and she said, "I love this piece." I said, "Okay, ah, <laughs> wall number one has been passed." Absolutely, <laughs> <You know what? laughs>
1: absolutely. Well, Joan, I feel like you put your soul into everything you do. It's why people love your music so much. You are. An absolute American treasure. And not only that, one of the most genuine people in the business. You and I haven't spoken in years, but I felt like I talked to you yesterday. Oh, and this, that's has, been, this has been a real joy. Thank you thank for you. doing what you do. And thank you for joining us today on the NOVA podcast. It's been well, a Well, thank treat.
0: you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you <for> having me.
1: <laughs> Joan Tower's Wings will be featured on the next concert in NOVA season. Available beginning Friday, March 26th at novaslc.org. The NOVA podcast is made possible by the support of our donors and season sponsors. NOVA has received generous support from the Utah Legislature, the Utah Division of Arts and Museums, the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation, Salt Lake County Zoo Arts and Parks, the George S. and Dolores Story Eccles Foundation, Isotope, Salt Lake City Arts Council, the Cultural Vision Fund, Dominion Energy, Rocky Mountain Power Foundation, the Alice M. Ditson Fund of Columbia University, and the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music. Don't forget to subscribe and share the NOVA podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening.